to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Tim McAllister obtained his Master of Science in Animal Biochemistry at the University of Alberta and his PhD in Rumen Microbiology and Nutrition from the University of Guelph in 1991. He is a Principal Research Scientist at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lethbridge, Alberta, where he's a, in charge of a diverse research team handling various projects, including the development and strategies to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions, improve water efficiency, investigate antimicrobial resistance, improve food safety, and reduce food waste. He has published over 100 scientific papers that examine the relationship between beef production and greenhouse gas emissions. His more recent area of interest is in the role of livestock production systems play in maintaining a biodiverse and the provision of an ecosystem service. He is the past chair of the Livestock Environmental Assessment Partnership Program and the FAO and is currently the co-host of a popular Cows on the Planet podcast. Amy Peck leads the public and stakeholder engagement team, which works to increase public trust in the Canadian beef industry by supporting industry synergies, forming strategic partnerships, and connecting positively with consumers and the public. This includes addressing industry issues by coordinating key messages and specific responses together with provincial and industry organizations. Promotional content and campaigns are also developed that highlight the benefits of beef production in Canada. So Tim and Amy, thanks very much for being with us today on Maritime AgCast. Great to be here, Brad. Thanks for having us. Tim, maybe we'll start with you. We are going to talk a little bit about public and stakeholder engagement today. Can you give us a little bit of your background on what you do on a daily basis and and how you look to engage both our producers in public stakeholder engagement, but the, the public as well? I'm Tim McAllister. I'm with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada here in Lethbridge, uh, Alberta. And I, I really started out my research area when I started out was in the area of rumen microbiology. And I branched out quite a bit from that point, um, you know, moving into areas of food safety and then later on into overall general sustainability and beef cattle production. So we have a number of different ways that we disseminate information out to the general public and to the industry as well. You know, probably the primary way that I do that is is through scientific manuscripts that we publish that are peer reviewed and then evaluated internationally and end up in scientific journals. That's kind of the foundation that we use then for moving forward and then pulling information from those, boiling it down into a form that's a little more understandable by the general public, and then sharing that information. And, and a lot of that uh, information we've been generating lately uh, especially when we're talking about uh, communicating directly with the public is to really try to show some of the other side or counteract some of the statements that we see that tend to be exaggerated a little bit more over on one side than the other to get more of a balanced approach and a balanced perception of, of some of the challenges that are facing the beef industry and also what it takes to generate or hopefully support a sustainable beef industry that would go on long into the future in Canada. My name is uh, Amy Peck, and I manage the Public and Stakeholder Engagement Program. So it's one of three programs funded by national checkoff dollars. So of course, there's the Beef Cattle Research Council, there's Canada Beef, and then there's Public and Stakeholder Engagement. And the interesting part of our program is that it's delivered by both CCA, the Canadian Cattle Association, but also Canada Beef. So 75% of our funding goes to CCA, 25% goes to Canada Beef, and both programs work together to build and maintain public trust in the way beef cattle are raised in Canada. Excellent. Thanks for the introduction to both of you. And 
as I was preparing the little bit that I do prepare for podcasts for anybody that knows me, I, I've been doing a lot of listening, uh, obviously, to Tim, your podcast, Cows on the Planet. Uh, and Amy, I've had the luxury of working with you on a few different uh, events, as well as got to know you a little bit through your role of PSE um, through the CCA. One of the first things I'd really like to start talking about is how we've got to where we are with engaging the public. So when I look back, even over my starting to get longer career of 20 years in agriculture, we've always talked about engaging the public, but we've never really done it. But it seems like in the last year or three, maybe, we've made a lot more concerted effort to tell our stories as beef ranchers and as farmers in Canada and across the world to producers. Tim, can you talk a little bit about how you've seen that evolve over the, the last decade? Yeah, well, I think in the past, you know, if you go back 20 years or so, our, our focus was mainly on the producer themselves. So providing them in with information on how to improve their production practices and uh, the steps that they could take towards, you know, and really the focus at that time was primarily economic sustainability, which was a lot, a lot through increasing productivity. But, you know, over time, we've seen an increasing uh, focus of of the general public and, and particularly the, the customers of the beef industry uh, focusing on sustainability and with an emphasis on environmental sustainability as well. So it's really been, you know, quite a shift in our research focus has definitely got an environmental component from it, whether it be related to greenhouse gases or manure management, you, you name it, like you we're really taking a systems approach uh, in terms of trying to ensure sustainability within the beef industry across the entire uh, production system. And, and then a lot of that focus now of our communication is actually going out to more of the general public as well, to the consumer, so that they can make informed decisions when they're making their, their purchasing option and make sure that they're dealing with uh, information that's backed by science and, and not by, you know, just general perception or, or some other vested interest that individuals may have uh, with regard to consumer behavior and what people choose to eat. Thanks, Tim. One of the things that always amazes me, and this, Amy, this may be a question more for you, is, you know, the, the beef industry in the country does not have a huge budget. It definitely does not have a huge budget when it comes to public and stakeholder engagement. So can you talk a little bit about maximizing those investments made by our producers and ranchers and maybe leveraging that investment in some strategic partnerships by working with folks like Tim and other key influencers? Great question, Brad. So yes, public and stakeholder engagement gets 6% of the national checkoff allocation. Um, and so we are always looking at how we can achieve our objectives um, strategically with as little money as possible so we can really stretch it out. Um, so one example I love to give of this is um, our short documentary, Guardians of the Grasslands. Um, when we were submitting for film festival categories, uh, we were asked sometimes to identify the total budget of the film. And I'm happy to let you know that it is under $10,000 and quite a bit south of $10,000. And that generally blows people's minds. And so one is just finding people to work with that have the same goals and passions as we do in the program. So Ben and Sarah with Story Brokers Media House are extremely passionate about the beef industry and demonstrating the great stories it has to tell. And so, you know, that was, that was great. And then some of the ways that we were able to really raise the profile for the short doc 
were those film festivals. And so you're looking at 20 to $50 to submit per film festival, but then your film could be seen by, you know, between a thousand and 10,000 people. So it was a really uh, interesting way to get more profile for the film, but then leveraging those partnerships Again, Ducks Unlimited Canada and the Nature Conservancy of Canada were partners on the film. And so that allowed us access to their audiences. And so rather than telling ourselves that the beef industry has access to the public, I don't think that's true. I think we have a rural adjacent and producer audience that's regularly tuning in. And so partnering with these conservation partners that do have access to a public audience and having them disseminate the information, share the documentary, also gives us that third-party credibility that it's not coming directly from the beef industry and so um, seems to be separate from that bias. Tim, I'm going to go back to something you had mentioned uh, in your introduction to yourself, actually, and that's how we talk to a public that a lot of their decision-making is based on feeling or emotion. And historically, we've done a lot of combating that with fact and science and data. And can we talk a little bit about how we translate those facts into a consumable message for our stakeholders? Well, a lot of times it involves uh, making analogies to practices that people can relate to, such as, you know, when we compare uh, methane emissions and how much methane emissions come from cattle, you know, what that uh, emissions looks like relative to somebody taking a jet across, you know, Canada from Vancouver to Prince Edward Island, or how much emissions come from those various uh, sources. And often people are very surprised, you know, like, I, I think still the the primary message that we hear is that the main contributor to climate change and and uh the overall warming effect is related to the use of fossil fuels and and those kinds of comparisons kind of drive those messages home even more and and the other thing i think that's really changed the atmosphere is the whole social media you know how much that has increased and that also opens the line you know the avenue it's not only us that uh in canada that are sending that message out like there's other scientists in the united states in europe and south america as well you know that are coming up with the same conclusions and and messages that that we're delivering as well so when you get sort of a global consensus on the part of scientists on a particular subject it really provides a lot more credibility to it as well in, in terms of that finding being drawn from several different locations, several different research studies that are leading to those conclusions and, and sending that message out. Do you have anything to add there, Amy? I sure do. I'll use Guardians of the Grasslands as the example again, because when we had the short documentary, we were starting to show it to a select group of producers before it was going to premiere. I had the same reaction from almost all of them. But they said, oh, I really like it, but I wish it wasn't so emotional in the end. You lose me when uh, the tears start flowing. I just, I don't care as much about it. And I thought, that's really interesting because we had already focus group tested it with a target audience and their comments were exactly opposite to that. But they went, oh my goodness, I can really feel the emotion and the passion. It makes it real for me. So I think that's a... 
side of communications in the beef industry that we haven't leaned into enough is the heart and the emotion, but it needs to have all of that science and data to back it up. So that, you, you know, all of the grasslands research that's happened, all of the carbon sequestration and biodiversity research has had to happen for us to be able to tell that story and have all the data and research to back it up, but then tell it in a way that is heartfelt and also focusing on the endangered aspect of that ecosystem rather than telling it directly from the perspective of beef cattle or beef farmers and ranchers so that it's better able to resonate with Canadians. The Nova Scotia Cattle Producer Zone meetings are taking place from January 9th to 13th. Check the website for more details. And the New Brunswick Cattle Producers Regional meetings are from January 14th to 18th. Check their website for details. Perennia is hosting a webinar on cover crops on December 14th, 2022. Check that out at perennia.ca forward slash events to register. Maritime Beef Testing Sire will hold its 50th annual breeding stock sale on April 1st, 2023. For updates on the sales, please visit the website regularly at maritimebeeftestation.ca. Feeder sales will occur in the winter on January 19th, February 16th, and March 16th, 2023 at Atlantic Stockyards. Please check out their website at atlanticstockyards.com for a full sale schedule and booking information. In programs, there are many Nova Scotia programs open for 2022, such as Cattle and Sheep Industry Development Program and Wildlife Mitigation Program for a complete list of programs as well as applications, guidelines, and deadlines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. The New Brunswick cattle producers have multiple programs available, including the Beef Herd Renewal and Improvement Program and the Beef Rotational Grazing Initiative, and many more. For information on all of those programs, please visit gnb.ca forward slash agriculture. So one of the benefits that you pointed out around social media, Tim, was being able to spread the message and especially for researchers like you. But I wonder if we can touch on some of the white noise that social media also creates and and how we sort through who are our friends and who are our foes. Because a lot of times what we see is public debate very much based on emotion and how do we get ourselves back to making sure that we're controlling the narrative for or on behalf of our producers. Well, I think that's always an uphill battle, right? Like, you know, it's a matter of, of continuing to make sure that the message that we're delivering is consistent, that it's often, that it makes sense. You know, I, I talked a bit about the importance of a systems approach to sustainability and, and the beef cattle production system. And, you know, a lot of consumers wouldn't realize the complexity of the beef cattle production system in Canada and, you know, the reliance on the grasslands and the forages. And when people drive down the highway, they see lots of hay fields, but they don't realize that those hay fields, you know, which are an important part of uh, crop rotation, even when you're talking about producing potatoes or other foods that are used by people. Forages are an important part of that of that crop rotation. And, and those forages have value because they can be fed to cattle or to ruminants that can utilize that feed, right? They don't have a value for chickens or, or pigs as, as a feed source. So understanding how the systems are integrated and how they fit together to promote sustainability is, is an important message and not an easy one to convey given the complexity of, of the production system. Yeah, and I'll add as well, Brad. So Social media has made communications 
easier and much, much harder at the exact same time. And so what I would say is that in, you know, science and research communities, having that credible evidence is absolutely crucial and can make the difference in those conversations. Whereas with the general public, it's compelling stories that make the difference that change their minds. So for us, we're trying to, just like Tim says, have consistent messages, whether that's from the research community or going towards general public and then told as a story. Um, and it's coming from trusted sources. So we just saw from the most recent Canadian Center for Food Integrity data, farmers and ranchers are still absolutely the most trusted source for food information. And so that's where we try to mobilize uh, beef farmers and ranchers themselves through uh, social media training, through Beef Advocacy Canada courses, so that they're well equipped to engage in conversations online if they want to. It's why we work with influencers on social media, and whether those influencers are sort of a mom blogger or they work in the environmental field. Um, then they're also seen as that credible source, taking that consistent message to their audiences. And uh, that's all backed by uh, research and academia. So we've really tried to create a strong network that is then able to be on social media, sharing information in an easily digestible way um, that all links back to the research being done. I, I think ranchers and, and farmers across the country are doing a much better job at sharing their story. I think one of the biggest challenges is always the humbleness of a lot of our cattle ranchers across the country. Um, so it's good to see the, the training that's provided, but can you talk about some of the challenges that you have in recruiting those to share their message? And, you know, I, I look just recently like um, the TESA award winners um, they're a good starting point, but there are many, if many more folks just like them that don't always come forward. So how do we encourage more farmers and ranchers to come forward and share their story? It's a good question. There's a lot of challenges. And I would say the, the two most prominent are a lack of familiarity with social media. And so you know, for people who don't find themselves wanting to use social media on a, on a daily basis anyway, are probably really going to struggle to want to put what they're doing day to day out there. So it's a better fit for producers that are already um, interested in it and want to share a lot. But then there's the time commitment. It, it takes a lot of time to think about what you're going to craft. And there is a risk element. So we do see some producers sharing information on social media that is potentially not public trust building, um, sharing uh, injuries that cattle have sustained and sharing images of those on social media and looking for diagnostic information is potentially a risk to us um, rather than having a, a well-defined relationship with a veterinary partner that you can instead share that information to. And, uh, you know, better than getting uh, Twitter advice on, on what to do with a prolapse or something like that. So for us, we are really trying to provide resources for producers that are interested 
through Beef Advocacy Canada, but not trying to encourage producers who don't feel comfortable to be out there. That's where we're trying to find those really interesting stories. So your Tessa winners and be able to tell their story for them on the Canada beef channels, on the Raising Canadian Beef channels and through influencers. So we picked some of the Tessa nominees from 2021, partnered them with our influencers this year and had that come out as a good for you, great for uh, Canada campaign. And so it's uh, it's allowing their stories to be told on a well-developed platform with an audience and a third-party source. Uh, so they're not having to go through the work of building that all on their own. And to me, that's the winning strategy because it takes not as much of time and resources for the producer. Instead, it's just the producer and the association, the communication channels connecting. Yeah, I think, you know, the time is a major factor because you're asking them to take on another, basically another duty, right, that they previously didn't see as part of their responsibility. But I think part of it as well is is getting the information out of the importance of taking these steps and the importance of, you know, the value that it means to the industry to communicate these messages to the general public as well. And it's really become, you know, as the industry's evolved, it's it's really a new job a new part of the job that, that needs to be emphasized as being important as well. Obviously, the, the environment and sustainable production are kind of the top of everybody's mind right now as far as how we engage the public and what we engage them on. But are there a couple of other things before we dive a little bit deeper into the sustainability uh, realm Um that it's important for producers to keep the top of their mind and even just engaging with their friends and neighbors or uh, at the local hockey rink or gymnastics class uh, about the importance of beef farming in Canada? Well, I, th- I think it's really, you know, the contribution to food security is really important as well. And, and it gets back to understanding the integrative nature of agriculture in Canada and that uh, beef cattle use, utilize a lot of the byproducts that, you know, are produced out of the a cereal industry as well, be it the grain screenings or byproducts of the flour industry like wheat mids and other other components like that. And, you know, or, or distillers grains out of the ethanol industry would be another one or canola meal out of the canola industry. Uh, the profitability of those crop production systems also relies on those byproducts having a value as well. And for the most part, the largest portion of those byproducts are fed to cattle. Uh, and are part of the diets, you know, whether it be in a feedlot or whether it be supplements on pasture, uh, they all play a really important role. And, and, and so that integrated nature, you know, integrated cropping livestock systems is, is really important uh, for the economic sustainability of, of Canada's agriculture as a whole. And, and livestock and ruminants in particular, because of their ability to utilize those low quality fiber sources that are usually not suitable for human consumption is a really important part of that picture. My answer will be a little bit of a departure from um, Tim's just in in this building public trust conversation. I would say that um, we don't necessarily need to build any affinity for eating beef. We see the majority of Canadians are continuing to eat beef at levels that are staying pretty consistent and even went up during the pandemic. So there's a lot of love and a lot of support for Canadian beef. It's about 
easing any guilt associated um, with red meat, whether that's uh, nutritional concerns or whether that's environmental concerns, um, that you know, whatever producers feel they can share um, to ease those or to answer those questions. But I always feel it should be in a way that feels conversational and really moving away from educating any of our friends or neighbors or communities um, and rather listening to concerns and explaining how um, you, you do things on your farm, the things that are important to you and your family, and really putting a, a face to uh, the people that raise Canadian beef is important. Here's the market report brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits, and poultry all featured. Additional information, such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates, and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. For the weekend at December 9th, 2022, the local hog market base price in Nova Scotia was 2.13 per kilogram, down four cents from last week. And Ontario-based price was down four cents last week to a price of 2.04 per kilogram. And the Quebec market base price was $1.90 per kilogram, down 4.7 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price Atlantic beef products is 3.08 on the rail, an increase of five cents from the previous week. And Ontario live steers sold for $1.87, moving up one cent from last week. Call Cattle Atlantic Stockyards sold for 87 cents, downward change of seven cents from last week, while rail price Atlantic beef products was $1.75, down 10 cents from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged 87 cents, up one cent from the prior week. Good Dairy Bob calves between 9 and 120 pounds Atlantic Stockyards averaged $82, up $27. And Dairy Beef Bob calves averaged $131, down $108 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were up five cents to a price of $1.62 per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland lamb sits at 11 and mutton sits at $6.50 per kilogram. In Ontario, 52 64 pound lambs average 307 per pound at 57 pounds and 65 to 79 pound lambs average 271 per pound at 72 pounds. Their ewes averaged $1.71 at 137 pounds. Make sure you check out the association websites for additional pricing information. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit for a minute here, if we can. And one of the, the things that we always like to talk a little bit about on, on the, uh, the show here are about proving or record keeping to make sure that we have the information back, the facts of uh, public stakeholder engagement. So uh, the Canadian Beef Industry, a couple of really great programs, uh, the Verified Beef Production Plus program, uh, the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Amy, can you start and maybe talking about how those programs specifically are helping our ranchers tell the story about sustainability in Canada? Absolutely. So both VBP Plus and CRSB are what we consider proof points for the industry. And so a way of demonstrating um, record keeping and, and the practices that happen on farm for consumers that are interested um, obviously, we talk about all Canadian beef as being produced sustainably, um, but that there is a verification system so that if certification is important to you 
We're happy to have certified sustainable beef available and really growing in supply um, with various retailers and uh, food service providers around Canada. I would say that um, Canadians are not necessarily interested in the specifics, but they really value knowing that these programs um, exist. And especially a lot of the, you know, biodiversity metrics that we get out of there, knowing how many acres of native grassland or under the care of beef farmers and ranchers are all important indicators that we can talk about then with public audiences. But really, we are relying on the good work that's happening every day um, at the grassroots level with these programs. Tim, from a researcher's experience or perspective, how do those programs lend to um, research that you may be conducting or some of the messaging that you're developing out of the Egg Canada side? Yeah, well, a lot of the, the foundations of those programs are still anchored in research results that have come out. And, uh, you know, we're doing research now specifically in, to address some of the gaps that exist within those programs. For example, we've got quite a bit of work going on in the area now of, of the use of performance enhancing agents in beef cattle production and the value that those pose. There's some pressure towards reducing the use of those by some consumer groups, but we want to make sure, you know, if that's the decision, if that's the way consumers are going to go, we want to make sure that they understand the full ramifications of that. So that involves looking at, you know, those are proven additives that we use now. They've gone through the regulatory process. They've been approved by Health Canada and, and the regulatory agencies. Basically says they're safe to use. They don't cause harm to the animal or to the meat or to the people that consume that meat, but they have really substantial improvements in efficiency. And if we remove those from the industry, then we're going to lose some of those efficiency advantages. We're either going to have to look at alternative technologies that would replace those. And if we can't identify those immediately, we're going to have a reduction in efficiency for a period of time until we can. And that reflects, you know, then into more manure being produced, more feed required, uh, more greenhouse gas emissions, all of those kinds of things. So, you know, often when we're talking about pretty well all agricultural systems, we're talking about trade-offs in, in decision-making processes. And what we want to try to do is, select those balances that result in the greatest efficiency and the greatest sustainability. And, and that's part of what science is doing is figuring out those details. And, and sometimes it becomes pretty uh, precision in terms of identifying those practices that are going to lead to that optimal endpoint. Yeah. Can we maybe just explore that a little bit further? And as you were providing that feedback, Tim, one of the things that popped into my head is um, when you look at a, a complete agricultural system, whether it is a grain system or a livestock system, is how long it takes to actually make, to have a shift in those production systems. So then how do we as producers, ranchers, researchers, stakeholders forecast or foresee those ever-changing consumer demands? And will we ever get out ahead of it or are we going to be constantly changing and constantly chasing those changing preferences? Well, I think it's like Amy pointed out, you know, the, the beef consumption stayed relatively constant. It hasn't, it hasn't declined. So there are no, even if it's the majority of, 
consumers that would really have that position. Generally speaking, when looking at those uh, groups, it's usually smaller numbers. Of, it's not a representative of the total population as a whole, but they're quite boisterous. They're also quite skilled at using social media, and their message they, they get out is, I think, generally much louder than their numbers would reflect. And so, you know, I think we have to be cognizant of that. We need to be showing that we're taking active uh, where, where there are issues that are identified. We're taking active steps to uh, address those issues and research is going on. And we do see adoption of practices, changes in best management practices that consider those recommendations that have come forward based on science. And we see those being adopted by the industry. We have a program in place right now called the Living Labs, and that's the specific objective of that program within Canada is to take technologies out of the laboratory, measurements on farm, basically show producers how these best management practices can be beneficial, also get feedback from them in terms of what they see as best management practices, because they're often, you know, much more familiar with the intricacies of their production systems than what researchers are. Researchers can bring components to the table, but they seldom have the uh, expertise across the entire production system and recognize all the various pressures and nuances that may have producers make one decision over another. And often when you go in and, you know, if you think, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense why that producer is doing that. If you go in and you actually get down on the ground and you listen to what that producer has to say and you understand the various forces that they're leading to the decisions they're making, you often find that those decisions suddenly make a lot more sense than what you thought they did when you didn't have a clear picture of the drivers that were leading to those decisions being made. Yeah, and I can add to that, Brad, just in our research, you know, we're seeing that the number one concern, longstanding, about beef is price. And so if we're relating these performance enhancing agents as keeping beef, we like to say accessible um, because I think affordable means different things to different people. What's affordable for one is not to another, um, but they really help to keep beef accessible to the majority of Canadians. And we see that with you know, the price inflation that's happening now how relatively steady items like ground beef stay and continue to remain staples to Canadian families. So I think that that price will continue to be the dominating factor and why we see uh, the majority of finished animals uh, using technologies like that, but that there is also the ability for niche products to thrive um, and a market there to support them if the consumer doesn't uh, doesn't want conventionally produced beef. As long as we are not marketing either production system as superior, but both producing a world-class product that was raised sustainably. So Tim, you brought up the Living Labs program been uh, recently launched across Canada after having a couple of pilot provinces in the past. And I want to talk just a little bit about public policy, if we can, uh, and the focus around sustainability. So obviously, in the current political landscape, we're all very concerned about the environment, both nationally and internationally. Can we discuss a little bit about how those public policies, especially targeted funding and targeted programming, can help push the sustainability topic forward and bring producers along more quickly than it might have otherwise, knowing that 
the market doesn't always compensate producers for the environmental protection that they do provide. Yeah, well, that's that's something that's definitely being looked at, you know, internationally. It's well recognized that there's a number of, for example, methane mitigation technologies that are coming available now that will lower methane emissions from ruminant animals. But the economic incentive at this point, you know, in terms of improved performance or efficiency, feed efficiency may not necessarily be there in all cases. And so they are looking at internationally incentives that uh, could potentially encourage the adoption of those kinds of of technologies. So that's a a really important part. The other thing I think to to think about or realize is that, you know, when when it comes to developing the priorities of the research areas, they're not developed by the government alone. There's a tremendous amount of consultation that goes on. There's looking for alignments between industry interests and what they see as the gaps and what research will fill those as well. And really, it's a consensus that's driven, derived that decides which are the priority areas and where the funding goes. Given climate change and how much we we hear about that and, you know, the impacts that we've seen both in Canada of that as well as internationally, that's obviously become a major area of focus and one of the primary uh, areas of of research that's now underway within within Canada, both in, you know, across agriculture, but, uh, you know, within the oil and gas industry, it's really across society that we're seeing that emphasis uh, being developed and coming forward. I'll just add related to it is the importance of the goals that the beef industry has set. And so the suite of 2030 goals, you know, one, of course, being reducing the emissions intensity of methane by 33% by 2030, and how that goal is aligned with global climate policy and Canada's national climate policy, so that we're demonstrating that producers are taking steps to be in line with the global methane pledge um, without needing to be regulated into these goals, you know, by outside agencies. And that's most likely to be successful because it is taking into account what can be accomplished on farm. But of course, you know, my thoughts are the same as Tim's and that we we need investment to be able to put some of the technologies that are coming down the pipeline and, and show a real opportunity to reduce those that methane emissions intensity. But how can we take that off of individual producers needing to be on the hook to pay for that on already thin margins? We're getting close to the end of our time today. One of the things I'd like to maybe just close off with is what do you project is in store for the ranchers over the next five to 10 years as far as engaging the public, especially around sustainability, one or two major things that you think will either be speed bumps or or help that process through? Well, I think, you know, one of the Big ones. And, you know, as I mentioned, the living labs, that's part of the objective of the living labs as well is really verification. So, you know, that, that's a, a pretty big challenge because the methods that we use to measure a lot of these things in a, in a research setting are really not that applicable for large farms, you know, multiple farms across vast geographical areas. So we need to come up with modeling approaches and, and others which are being worked on that verify that, you know, these best management practices that are being developed, in fact, do lead to improvements in sustainability. And 
part of that is also, you know, the complexity that comes from the systems approach that I mentioned. So you got to make sure that reducing greenhouse gas emissions in one area of the production system doesn't lead to increased emissions in another. And, you know, the part of it, and, and we, you know, there's a lot of research going on internationally in these areas, but also there's a certain amount of urgency here too, in terms of getting these, you know, the knowledge out and these practices in place. And so that they can really have the benefit because we're, you know, if we don't have buy-in by the producers, researchers don't lower greenhouse gas emissions. They, they need to, and the producers need to see value in making those decisions. And so that's really, I think where we're going. That's, that's where the living labs are hoping to achieve. It, it's a big challenge though. It's definitely a big challenge. And, and we are going to need working together, you know, with the industry, consumers and the governments to, to bring those technologies forward and, and implement them and get them adopted so they can really have the impact that we want them to have. I couldn't agree more with Tim. The other aspect that we see coming down the pipeline is that as other industries are able to make quick reductions in their carbon footprints, it is going to make Canadian agriculture look like a larger slice of the pie. And so being prepared with these measures on farm and with our, you know, um, beef industry goals is going to be extremely important, as is the verification of those processes. So I don't see the spotlight on agriculture and especially the beef industry getting any smaller in the future. And so it's increasingly important that we do have these consistent messages and that we are telling the good story um, of what's happening in the beef industry, not only reducing our footprint, but all of the other benefits uh, that come along with raising beef cattle in Canada. Well, with that, folks, I think I've taken up enough of your time today. I appreciate you being with us. Looking forward to any potential conversations we can have in the future. If anybody wants to learn more about you, your programs, what you're all about, how do they do that? Well, for me, the easiest is through email. So it's just tim.mcallister.agr, like agriculture.gc.ca. And for myself, I'm pecka at cattle.ca or also on social media at a pecker peck. With that, folks, thanks very much for being with us and looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Brad. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Agcast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes. <laughs>